Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Adam, uh, a few weeks ago now, we opened some uh, some gifts from listeners, and uh, among the gifts was was some crazy straws, one for you and one for me. Mine says, uh-huh. fuck you, Adam. Yeah, it's a big one. In cursive. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it is, it is huge. It's like... I mean, I have like a 27-inch computer monitor, and uh, it's like about as wide as the computer monitor. So yeah, it's a big boy. You really gotta suck to use that one, huh? Yeah, you just sent a bunch of it down, a bunch of these things down here to me, and uh, this was among them. And I haven't gotten to use it yet, so I think I've got what it takes. I think I suck enough to use this. <laughs> this wow, straw. very special episode of the Greatest Generation featuring a live suck. Yeah, so I, I've made myself a little uh, little tiki beverage here. And uh, lowering the straw in, <laughs> it's 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 a little nerve wracking because like I don't know if this thing is totally watertight, and it <laughs> is it is dangling over such a large portion of my desk that there's really like kind of a lot that could go wrong here. Wow! Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. All right. <laughs> did you just, get any liquid at all, or are you still? Did you take a break? I, I, I'm taking a break, and I've just gotten liquid up to the F. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Hold on. Wow. Mm. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> That was intense. And also, it will never be clean because it's now full of, like, sweet tiki drink. (laughs) (laughs) This is a bad plan. I should have done this with water. (laughs) Yeah, you need a 10-foot pipe cleaner to to clean that thing up. My jaw is exhausted just from the amount of suction I was applying. It is uh, extremely difficult to tire out that jaw, I bet, Ben. So, really speaks to the length of straw you're working with. Yeah. Uh, Now, for my next trick, I'm going to suck the chrome off of a trailer hitch. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was part of the gift package. God, we got got a lot of uh, holiday gifts from our listeners. I'm glad you finally got to see the Bill Tilly... Deputy Director Intelligence CIA cards. Yeah, yeah, those are uh, those are great. I I, I tweeted a picture of one of those. Um, John Roderick was particularly pissed off that those went to me and not him. I think. Oh really? Yeah, but that's good. You know. <laughs> He's pissed off about everything lately. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a just a great big pile of presents, and uh, I love our viewers. I love that. Somebody got the idea to make a fuck you Adam straw and then actually made it happen. Yeah. It's a real straw that works. (laughs) We received a couple more letters in our P.O. box, Ben, and I'm thinking now would be as good a time as any to read them. Let's do it. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. 
Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Then we've got two letters here. Top one is from Rotterdam. Whoa. The port city in the Netherlands. Yeah. It's like one of the biggest ports in the world, right? Pretty great place, in my experience. It's very nice paper. Uh, Letter postmarked 6117. No kidding. What? I am not sure how this is possible. Hmm. 060117. It was probably January 6th. 2019 and his seven looks like an or his nine looks like a seven. Okay. And they do the and they do the month and the day in the other order in most other countries. I'm gonna Jackie and Lori you this seven because I mean of course it is how you say, but also yeah, get a load of this fucking nine. Oh yeah, that's a that's a seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no there, that is un- unambiguously a seven. Right. <laughs> okay. Maybe this is meant to like look aged because this paper is so old timey looking. Yeah, it really is. Boy, oh boy, it is a. It's a novel. It's from our fin- friend Patrick in Rotterdam. I'm going to uh, give this a read. Dear Ben and Adam, thank you for creating the greatest generation and the greatest discovery in Friendly Fire. Your podcast has cheered me in innumerable ways and has even helped my marriage. Whoa. Glad it's helping somebody's marriage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if you can just help one marriage, Ben, and it's not your own, it's all worth it. Patrick continues, my wife, who doesn't listen to podcasts, has listened to TGG with me. Her mood before listening? Arch. Her mood after? Well, she no longer wants to mount my head on a pike. <laughs> She's like, well, at least you're not doing this. I did try to hook her on Friendly Fire, but she was not willing to go that far. Why, you may ask? I'm not sure, but I am thinking that it is because I listen to your work so religiously. I even try things out that I hear on the show. After hearing about Ben's Rockstar Road Diet escapades last episode, (laughs) I tried all the hot dogs all week. Wow. Not a good call. (laughs) Now my face is pockmarked by acne scars. Not sure why it happened so fast, but I'm also... Taking testosterone pills? Talk about side effects. Never been such a hairy man before. <laughs> Jesus. Was that too much? Might have overshared. I shouldn't be spending all day moistening fibers. Yeah. Makes me vulgar. Suffice to say, with your help, I've left my sordid career of lobbyism behind and become a productive, enterprising member of society. In fact, I've gone into physics. I developed a technique to remove an electron from a particle in such a manner that it resembles the action of rasping cheese in a motion paralleling that of the rotation of the Earth. I haven't decided on a title, but maybe you can help me name the project where I greatest generate ion. (laughs) Patrick's doing wordplay here. He's doing wordplay at us. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder if if, if this was all just a very long walk for that pun. (laughs) I believe this is all uh, in service of that joke. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Come to the EU, Patrick says, or don't. Y'all are kicking ass either way. Best regards, Patrick. Patrick from Rotterdam uh, with his two-page joke. Wow. I mean, I think we're going to try and go to the UK, but uh, who knows if that'll be part of the EU or not by the time we get there. 
I sort of feel like this letter was a deterrent. <laughs> uh, thanks for the kind words, Patrick. Now we've got a second letter here. It is from Waldorf. And it is uh, postmarked from South Hadley, Massachusetts. Wow. Uh, inside, Ben, we have a holiday postcard with a picture of, of a menorah with four candles lit. And uh, ascribed next to it is, there are four lights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. A, a belated Hanukkah letter. On the back, it says, Dear Ben, Adam, and Rob's glory to you and your house this holiday season. A couple of batlefs here, and uh, they're oriented to look like holly, and there are some berries on the end of the tips of the batlefs. Oh, fun. Are they berries or dr- drops of blood? I mean, I think you could make the case for either. Yeah. Uh, this card lovingly sent to us from uh, from Jillian. Fun. P.S. Binturong. <laughs> I just love checking our mailbox, Ben. Yeah, fun. Uh, yeah, send us an email if you want the if you want the address for that. We love opening that stuff. I love opening a brand new season, Ben, which is what we're here to do today. I cannot believe we're in season four of Deep Space Nine already. I know. Where has the time gone? It seems amazing to me. Uh, we get a special double stuff episode this edition. Uh, it's Deep Space Nine season four, episode one, The Way of the Warrior. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Uh, it's double stuffed, Ben. There's no, there's no middle part. There's no M- Mr. War fire. Yeah, it goes all the way through. Yeah, I think it was aired like this. And and so too we will go all the way through. Yeah, I mean it says parts one and two on the streaming service that I'm using. I see no reason to believe that it was ever aired in two parts. Yeah, I see no evidence of that myself. So that's what we got, and that's what we're here to do. We come in in media race. Cisco is bald. Kira has much more hair. They're hunting goops. Goophunters.biz. Yeah. They're, they're running into, into empty quarters, like kind of like staged for Airbnb photos. They're, they're spraying wide beam phaser rifle through the rooms. And, uh, and this, is a, this is a goop sweep. And, uh, ben, could you say this is a, a toot sweep? Goop sweep? <laughs> Is that something we could call this? Just, I just want to like note for the record that when you say shit like that, I, I give you a nice laugh. You really do. You're very generous. When I say shit like that, you just you like walk out of the room. And I, I just hear you from the other room going like, Christ, why do I do this? I'm not a good podcast partner for you, Ben. I've never thought I was. Something I'm working on. (laughs) They wind up discovering one in a room. It turns into a bird, flies down a hallway, and they're out on the promenade. You know, they're they're getting close to cornering this goop when... uh, Turns out it was Odo the whole time. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins, but look out! Bite, you're dead. And so is Dr. Bashir. (laughs) Dr. Bashir would have died had this been a real goop scenario. Um, and uh, and Odo is trying to whip the security apparatus of the station into shape. This is an unannounced drill, and uh, they're talking to Kira about like scheduling the next one. So they're they're doing surprise fire drills, and uh, one member of the uh, 
member of the population of the station is none too pleased about this. If you're done scaring my customers away, I'd like to open the bar. Go right ahead. That is uh, Quark, the owner of the bar and casino. It's very disruptive to his business whenever someone pulls the golden fire alarm. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. There has been a lot of lip service paid to the idea that war with the Dominion is inevitable. And uh, this scene starts and you believe that it has already begun. And uh, and then it's a switcheroo. It's a... Something that this uh, series has started to do quite a bit. I feel like the last episode started with uh, making you think that Cisco was leaving the show, Switcheroo, and this one, like, we're coming back from the summer break, right? Like, this is the first episode of the new season, and it sort of plays the audience into believing that they, uh, you know, the war started while we were watching reruns of the simpsons all summer i like it and we've also pivoted away from the crew having time for hobbies this is what they have time for now yeah it doesn't make it any less inefficient though yeah like this whole running from room to room thing doesn't seem like a sustainable way to be they need a larger scale way to detect a changeling and they just don't have that right now right so Cisco uh, has a little date with uh, his girlfriend Cassidy Yates, and uh, they're they're at the exchanging gifts for no reason phase of the relationship. <laughs> she got him a ball cap of her brother's baseball team. He got her some kind of fancy scarf. Where did you find Tholian silk? So uh, good to see that. Well, gold pressed latinum is the currency of the station. She's a woman who's not always on the station, so. He got her something very valuable to to exchange in uh, other parts of the Federation, I guess. Yeah, money is a gift that always works. Yeah. You know, like, if I bought clothing for my wife, I, like, the odds of me nailing it are, are so vanishingly low that I don't even bother, you know? <laughs> Just get her a gift certificate. She knows what she wants. Yeah, you remember when, uh, when Gift for No Reason was... Was a phase of the relationship. Seems like a long time ago. Yeah. Now it's just met with suspicion. What did yeah. you do? <laughs> Cassidy Yates, not suspicious at all at the full spread on the dining room table. Candles, large amount of food here. Uh, He's really pulling out the romance stops, you know? Cisco, uh, out of the game long enough to have forgotten that you definitely want to fuck before dinner especially when it's a meal of this size <laughs> yeah he didn't uh, he's not following the at the dan savage uh fuck first adage yeah, yeah you're really gonna want to do that <laughs> yeah yeah some things are worth waiting for ben but uh <laughs> fucking is not one of them <laughs> uh yeah but they aren't even able to get to Eating of any kind, because uh, the Nagvar has decloaked outside DS9, Ben. Oh, the new Klingon flagship. It has uh, General Martok at its command, who um, asks, like, hey, like, we're, we're all friends here. Can my, uh, can my men come aboard? And uh, very naively, they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And um, promptly, like, two dozen more ships decloak around <laughs> the station. <laughs> It's that classic, you've invited someone to a party, but they've invited eight people you don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Th- that used to be a thing. It's not a thing anymore, I don't think, as we've gotten older, but that was definitely a thing in college, Yeah, I remember. 
Yeah. Oh, I thought this was going to be a small, intimate gathering. It is not. Uh, the Klingons are greeted with a healthy amount of suspicion. I think a suspicion that comes with the surprise decloaking of an armada. <laughs> yeah. And they're also very well behaved in a way that, that makes Quark suspicious personally. He's someone who is the bartender in possession of a decibel meter for some reason. Yeah. I had an apartment in Brooklyn that was across the street from a nightclub. And on Friday and Saturday nights, it was just totally intolerable to try and sleep in there. And I actually had a couple of guys from the city come out at like 2 a.m. with a decibel meter to see if it like broke, you know, municipal code about how loud something could be. Very frustratingly, it did not. It was like too loud to sleep, but not too loud to be illegal. And uh, How many times a night did you hear Usher's yeah? <laughs> like eight times? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they just, had a, they just had a loop. That's why I say it all the time now. Right. Um, Quark wants it to be loud and boisterous in, in Quark's bar. Yeah, it's the, it's the sound of business getting done. Yeah, these Klingons are too, are too dour. It sure portends to a different kind of war coming up. And before you're given too much time to consider it, we're in the wardroom where Martok is drawing his own blood so as to prove to Cisco and Kira that he's not a changeling. It's a McBloodlin group. Issue one. And this is the new rule of the game. This is the sort of paranoia that we live with now on this show. It's so dumb to cut your palm, though. Yeah. Like, that doesn't heal up quickly. No. Like, they do this in TV shows all the time. Like, if you're about to go to war, you don't self-inflict an injury that's going to take a long time to heal and will compromise your ability to use tools and weapons, right? Yeah. So, bad move, Martok. But uh, the Klingons are there to, like, help prepare for the war with the Dominion. And, you know, they, they just want to be good allies to the Federation. And Cisco's like, well, that's cool, but, like, nobody asked. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we don't really think that the Dominion is, like, getting ready for anything like that. Like, we're, we're scanning the other side of the wormhole and no indication of a buildup on that side of the border or anything. It would seem as though the Changeling's dying words in the finale of season three have been transmitted... Uh, on all channels and all frequencies, to everyone in the universe. <laughs> the seriousness with which this this opponent is taken is counterbalanced by a cut to the hollow suites where Dax and Kira are getting uh, getting their spa day on. Yeah, maybe people do have time for hobbies after all. Yeah, it seems that way. They're not going to let it ruin their lives. Right. And I mean, I guess the the implication is that this is quite a bit later. Like this scene is partly to establish that like the initial tension of 30 Klingon ships showing up has dissipated somewhat. Yeah, that can be really the only reason for this scene's existence because it is not, it's not a feeling that is returned to at any point and nothing expressed in this scene really matters in the overarching story to come. Yeah, I mean, like, because Kira has resisted the hollow suite. Didn't you play make-believe when you were a child? Yeah, I used to make-believe the Cardassians would stop killing the Bajorans and just go away. You can't stop Debbie Downer. But that's all yeah. we really get out of it. That and, and some hunky trill eye candy. You don't want a hollow suite with someone who's not into hollow suite, though. Like, this can't be fun. Right. For Dax. 
it's like taking a vegan to a barbecue restaurant. You know, it's just like yeah. they don't want to be there. You're not going to be able to order the huge platter that would be fun to order at this restaurant. It's not a judgment on them. It's just not the right person to bring. Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So. Uh, we cut to Odo and Garrick and a scene where they have now become lunch buddies in the break between season three and season four. And uh, a scene's reason for being that is to teach us a little bit more about Odo and his functions, because the trivia here is that Odo can make himself into the cup and the coffee and then consume the coffee and then through his hand refill the coffee cup with himself. It's the same magic trick that facsimile Bashir in the last episode played, but this time it's sort of being demonstrated as such. Yeah. It's interesting, like, it low-key establishes that Odo is learning about himself via every interaction he has with another changeling. Right. Because I don't think he would have thought to do this mid-season three. Right. Yeah, his imagination was too limited. Uh, It establishes that Garrick is going to be a character of note in this episode, which is good, because I generally like Garrick episodes. Yeah, and and that um, he's concerned about the situation on Cardassia because the Obsidian Order has fallen in the wake of their kind of being baited by the founders into uh, the Gamma Quadrant. And he usually really has his finger on the pulse of what's going on on Cardassia and does not anymore. He can only speculate. It's all very alarming. With the Obsidian Order being dissolved, it doesn't feel like Cardassia has any kind of defense force available to them. And I thought Obsidian Order was sort of a, a special forces arm of the greater military-industrial complex of Cardassia, and that does not seem to be the case here. I think they kind of leave that intentionally squishy so that... Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I agree. Uh, one thing I noticed in this scene is, you know how girl Cardassians often have, like, some blue in their, in mm-hmm. the spoon on their forehead? Mm-hmm. I feel like Garrick had a little bit of that in this scene. Blue spoon! <laughs> you left me standing alone! <laughs> yeah, that's why I brought it up. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, they observe some Klingons bothering Morn, and, uh, we just won't, we won't tolerate that. No, we can't have it. That's our Morn. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that both Garrick and Odo go confront them. Like, Garrick is uh, kind of rolling as though he's uh, one of Odo's deputies when uh, really he's just, uh, like, he should really just stay out of it entirely. But um, I mean, if you're Garrick, it's got to feel good to have Odo, like, at your side, right? Oh, yeah. Like, to be Yeah. If, if Odo's your pal, you know that you're in better shape than most on, on the station, no matter what goes down. Yeah. Agreed. They scare these Klingons off, and then, uh, and then Garrick winds up back in his tailor shop and discovers that the Klingons have just uh, gotten the drop on him, and they kick the shit out of him. They kind of toss his shop and give him the business. That's our boy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, our girl is Cassidy Yates, and her ship, uh, the freighter Joja, is under attack, Ben. Yeah, she's, uh, she named her ship after David Mamet's daughter from Girls. <laughs> like, um, hello, good name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so with the Joja under attack, they take the little D out to it. And uh, there's a greater sense of urgency here because uh, uh, Cisco's girl's on that ship. Right. And the deal is that the, the Klingons are enforcing some kind of like security procedure that they just imagine will be what everybody wants them to be doing. We have orders to search all vessels attempting to leave Bajoran space. You are tortured by self-doubt and fear, and it is not pleasant to be around. And so any ship leaving the system, they are tossing, and this goes like, actually, uh, the Bajorans have a uh, Fourth Amendment to their constitution, and that's just not legal here. <laughs> like, you have to have probable cause, and, like, the light on their license plate being out does not count. Cisco really takes this interaction right up to the line of starting a war. Like, they fire some warning shots, they try to cripple the M-Char, which is the ship that has got the Joja in a tractor beam. I'm so fucking sick of all of you. And then they finally uh, scare Commander Kabok off of the Joja and uh, thus rescue Cassidy Yates from this bit of trouble. And uh, Kabok retreats saying that Galron is going to hear about this in a fairly threatening way. Yeah. It's not entirely true because uh, we find out in pretty short order that Kabok's dagger is given to Cisco, which can only mean one thing. Kabok dead. Uh? <laughs> He's been executed by Martok. For not completing his mission of tossing the ship and palm testing everybody. Stop, frisk, and blood test was, uh, was something that came from the top. Yeah. Came from Martok. And uh, so Cisco kind of has that blood on his hands. Mar- I love Martok's loaf. He's like he's like definitely seen some real action. Like he's a Klingon yeah. and he's got Klingon loaf, but he's also like very heavily scarred. Yeah, he is. He is a rugged looking dude. And when he comes into the office, like drops the knife off on on Cisco's desk and yells like one word at him and walks out. Fuck. That is uh, pretty threatening. So, uh, so Cisco's looking to put a Klingon shield in between himself and the Klingons. And uh, who are you going to call, Ben? You're going to call Lieutenant Commander Worf. You're going to give him a great big hero shot right off the bat. Yeah. You're going to lasciviously drive that camera uh, floor to ceiling on that body. Yeah. Giving him the reveal befitting of a legacy Star Trek character. Some lip service was paid to uh, how devastating it must have been to lose the Enterprise. She was a good ship. Yes, sir. This episode aired October 2nd, 1995. Uh, Star Trek Generations came out November 17th, 1994. You would think that Cisco would... Uh... I guess I guess maybe it'd be impolite to bring up Wolf 359 with somebody that served on, on the Enterprise, right? Yeah... And yet you and I have said many times that it's not brought up enough. It should be where were you on 9-11 level conversation. I mean, it does come up in this episode, but they don't, it's not, it's not brought up here. And I felt, I felt that was intentional. Like they, they left the tension of that in the room. Uh, Worf has been sitting Shiva (laughs) on the planet of Borath uh, after the entrepreneur's untimely death in Star Trek Generations. And uh, he's been questioning his future in Starfleet. They press on this theme a bunch in this episode. He's in a very similar place in his life to where Cisco was when he was first stationed on Deep Space Nine, which is a 
feeling of great uncertainty about what his future in Starfleet might look like. Worf is there to uh, to sort of be the the Klingon whisperer for Deep Space Nine while these warships are are present. You could say that Worf is going to be Cisco's Chadich here, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The Chadich is on the other foot this time. <laughs> um, to start to get his feet wet, he heads down to Quirk's Bar, which is where we know the uh, the Klingons to be gathering a lot of the time. Reconnects with, with uh, Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Gets introduced to the doctor, destroys their dartboard with his wicked left arm dart throw. Am I right in, in that? Yeah, Worf plays some rough darts. Is he lefty? Either that or he approached the game so not knowing how you're supposed to play that he just like uses the hand that the dart was handed to and yeah. and wings it. I could yeah. see that. Compliments uh, Kira on her nice hat. Uh, which unfortunately covers up her new haircut. She looks great. Yeah. Uh, a lot more volume for Kira in this season. I really like. <laughs> and yeah, we see him like kind of unpacking in his room. We get to see... There's a nice detail of him putting a uh, a picture of himself and and teen Alexander down yeah. on a table. You talk about the amount of time that's passed. It has been a very long time since we've seen Alexander, so it is weird to see a teenage version of him. Yeah, he's clearly cutting his own hair. He's got <laughs> a he's got that band T-shirt on. He does not smile in the picture. You know all the qualities of of teenagerdom yeah. on display. I hate you. One thing that goes down in the bar, though, is that uh, is that Worf like walks up like chest puffed out to the guy that kicked Morn's ass and really embarrasses this guy. Right? Klingons fight in a way that is familiar to anyone who watches Star Trek, but Worf in particular will always grab your ankle and flip you over. <laughs> he loves that shit. Yeah, so much more than the Kirk chop. He loves the ankle grab. <laughs> Um, but it turns out that this guy is actually Martok's son. So when he's yeah. in his apartment later, Martok comes to take the knife back that Worf took off of this kid. And uh, it turns out that Worf did this very strategically. He is uh, he is doing this to get Martok's attention. And, uh, you know, not speaking the Klingon language, but he is speaking Klingon to Martok when yeah. he draws him out like this. I thought it would have been a fun meta moment for Worf to give Martok not only, you know, that knife back, but Drex's knife, his son, <laughs> like as a fake out. Like, wait, wait, did you just kill my son in the bar? <laughs> just knife after knife in his bag. <laughs> just dump him out. The suspicion that Cisco has is that the Klingons are not being entirely upfront about what their intentions are. And Worf doesn't exactly get that out of Martok, but he does kind of establish, you know, like there's a new sheriff in town as far yeah. as Klingons are concerned. And, and uh, I'm not going to be an easy guy to get along with if you're not going to be forthcoming with me. 
And if there's one Star Trek character who knows what being a sheriff is all about, it's Worf. <laughs> by virtue of his Wild West episode in TNG. <laughs> Do not show your face in this town again. We get some fun name checking too during a Worf calisthenics session with Dax. Yeah, we get to see Skullface. Uh, we understand that his investigation has put him in communication with Gowron and Kalis and his brother Kern. But and you kind of realize that Worf is about as well connected as you could possibly be. Yeah, for the <laughs> like he's got everybody in his Rolodex. Like even today, it is difficult to forgive the idea of a text or a voicemail message going unreturned. But it seems like in the future, that has got to be highly intolerable. Like <laughs> there is no way you don't know if you've received a message from someone. And so yeah. the idea of Worf being iced out here sends a message. No one will speak with me. I was thinking a lot about that. Like when the when Cisco is having his date with Cassidy Yates and... Dax's voice is just suddenly in the room, you know, yeah. like, God damn it. Forgot to turn my fucking radio off, you know? Yeah. You don't want that going off at the wrong time. You can't screen your phone calls. <laughs> uh, so after this bonding session with Dax, uh, where it sure looks like they become good buds afterwards, Worf decides to get drunk with a family friend named Haraga, and he's a gray haired Klingon man. Uh, who is a great source of information. Nothing more honorable than getting an, getting the elderly drunk and plying them for information. I suppose you have a right to know. Right, and that information is that the Cardassian government's been overthrown with the help of changeling infiltrators. This uh, this really comes out in a like later scene, but not before Worf is like sort of security shamed by Odo. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like a cutaway it becomes clear that this old man is going to spill the beans and then Worf is like staring out at the promenade the next day like thousand yard stare of a man who knows too much and uh becomes clear that Odo has been surveilling him heavily since he came came aboard the station and <laughs> Like, it is really weird to me that they don't even address that Worf used to be a security man in this scene. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, uh, obviously that's what I've, I would have done, too. You know, I used to I used to do a bit of security myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, never brought up. Never brought up. <laughs> Instead, Odo levels some thinly veiled threats to Worf, like, you know, I could have been the bottle. <laughs> I could have been the glass. I could have been the blood wine. <laughs> Maybe you pissed me out this morning. And I just got out of the sewer system. <laughs> He's been everywhere, man. Yeah. But so, yeah, the uh, the Cardassians are... The Cardassian government's been overthrown. There's a new civilian authority in charge. And the Klingons are going to go exploit this for kind of a war of adventure, right? Like the... Yeah. The idea is that they feel bad that they've made peace with everyone around them. That's not what Klingons are supposed to do. And they're going to go get back to their old set-tripping ways. They miss war. And they miss the way that war made them feel. You can you can understand this. It made them feel strange, but also good. <laughs> the thing is, a Klingon attack on Cardassia would jeopardize the pre-existing treaty between the Klingons and the Federation. Because... It really puts the Federation in a bind. Like, as treaty partners, you're sort of dragged into this war. 
Yeah. But if you don't have the Klingons back, then you're sort of breaking the treaty. The justification that they're using is that probably the Dominion did something to leverage this uprising, and therefore taking over Cardassia is just good, clean war, because we got to make sure that the Dominion doesn't control Cardassia. But if that was true, like they would have shared some evidence of that with the Federation and made the case for what they're about to do. And they, they have not done anything of that kind. This is the moment in the episode that I need to bring this up. And that is, are the changelings such a big part of the story now that you can't credibly believe any main character? Like, how can we believe Martok isn't a changeling right now? Even though he sliced his palm a couple scenes ago, like, we don't know that this Martok is the same as the one before. Yeah. My attention is divided in every scene now. Right. Yeah. They need the Gattaca thing where everybody, like, every time they enter the room, they they put their finger on a thing that draws a little droplet of blood. It's just impossible to background that knowledge anymore. Like, it's always up front. Anyway, with the meeting between Martok and Sisko revealing like sort of outing this real plan. They're like, well, shit, we can't stop the Klingons because that breaks the treaty. We can't help the Klingons because that's fucked up. Yeah, they're like, there's this hard place and there's this rock and we're stuck in the middle, man. We've got to somehow flush this intelligence down the toilet in such a way that it, it reaches the Cardassian sewer. Yeah. We've got to back channel this shit. And there is no red phone in, in Cisco's office. So what they do is they use the embodiment of the red phone on Deep Space Nine, and that's Garrick. Yeah, I really liked this scene. They call him up and Cisco says, like, measure me for a new suit. Don't forget the waist. I think I've lost a little weight. Another thing that crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. And uh, Garrick doesn't know what's going on initially, but he plays along while they they discuss Klingon troop movements in a, in a sort of unguarded way. Well, thank you, Captain. I believe I have everything I need. And so the next scene is Garrick FaceTiming with Gul Dukat. And they, they hate each other's guts, but this is, uh, this is important news and important to all Cardassians. Right. But I think it comes a little too late because the, Car- the Klingons really like blow right past the frontier of the Cardassian Empire and are headed toward the core of Cardassian space. And eventually, like, it becomes clear that they're going to go need to, like, rescue the leaders of the Cardassian government. It feels like a very Saigon is about to fall kind of situation, right? Yeah. And if there were a natural endpoint to a two-parter, this would be it. The dissolution of the peace treaty between the Klingons and the Federation happens at about this point in the episode also. Yeah. Gowron has uh, has withdrawn from the Kitamara courts. Which is fucking wild it's felt like for three seasons deep space nine has existed more or less out of the main through line of star trek and star trek stories like it's very frontier justice yeah but when you start fucking around with this treaty yeah it affects everyone we saw this treaty in one of the movies yeah that's how canonical it is yeah Gowron doesn't just want to go into Cardassian space. He actually wants to recruit Worf. Come with me, Worf. Glory awaits you on Cardassia. And the idea that there's like another career available to Worf is particularly tempting to him in this moment. Unfortunately, it comes with so much leverage that it's either Worf 
take off his comm badge and join the Klingons, or Gowron ruins his life by basically <laughs> taking away all his property, dissolving his family name. Like, the punishment for not coming along is, is pretty bad. I thought it was pretty rough that Worf didn't blow a call into Kern to, like, consult on this issue. <laughs> Kern wakes up on his ship and none of his command codes work anymore. <laughs> like, give us that 30-second cutaway. That would be amazing. Yeah, I would love that. Worf is always going to be the man of honor if we know him to be. So he thinks that what Martok is up to is bullshit, and, and he really sticks to his guns in a way that burns Kern's career to the ground. <laughs> This is uh, collateral damage. To be quite honest about it, I've been a pale, a fucking pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. The idea that they have to go out and, like, rescue the leaders of the Cardassian government is a fairly fraught idea because... Like, it has been established that there's a non-zero chance that these are actually just a crowd of founders that are on Cardassia to take over it and and give the founders a toehold in the alpha quadrant but uh but that's that's what they got to do so we get a couple of scenes before they head out there one of them is a fairly tearful smooch goodbye between cisco and cassidy yates the promised filter game is super strong in this scene (laughs) (laughs) the scene is also interesting for its navy wifeification of cassidy yates here like there's a real sense that you know cisco's leaving and he doesn't know for how long and he can't tell her what exactly he's doing yeah and it, and it's real feeling for that reason i think it's especially real feeling because she herself has been in danger already this episode so yeah they're both living in times that are not safe it makes her character understand his mission in a way that I don't think she would have before. Yeah. Like, I think she would have Adrianned his Rocky a little <laughs> bit if if she wasn't put in danger in that in that first half of the ep. Yeah. So they get on the Defiant. They're heading out there under a cloak, which is in violation of the treaty. And, uh, and they're just going to rendezvous specifically with Gul Dukat's ship so that they can rescue the uh, the leaders of this government. There's a little bit of a ticking clock here. They've got 52 hours until the Armada reaches Cardassia Prime. So so that's happening in the background here as well. They're given some, some temptations along the way. Like at one point they fly through a debris field of Cardassian ships and they don't even stop to scan for survivors or anything. Yeah. These are decisions that give a great amount of impact to what they're doing, you know? Like, you know that Starfleet wants to scan for survivors. That's, like, the number one thing Starfleet does. Do we know at this point what Starfleet wants to do? I mean, where is the Admiralty in all this? But I wonder if they don't trust Admirals after uh, the season finale of season three. I think Nechev is a lot more reassuring than that ambassador guy. Are those Valerian canopies? It would have been nice to, to fly her into an episode like this. What a like to see her. Yeah. Dukat got the jump on evacuating these people and put them on his ship. And it's Dukat's ship that's under fire at this moment. Yeah. The puzzle is like they got to beam everybody off of it because the ship is going to come apart in space. It's not in great shape because three 
Klingon ships are attacking it. So the Defiant actually engages them and, and blows a couple of them up. And um, and then it's like, they're like tractor beaming the last Klingon ship while they drop their shields and beam the Cardassian survivors aboard. And I guess the idea is that the tractor beam is like minimizing how deadly the Klingon disruptor fire is. Yeah. But they're taking some pretty serious damage. And this despite uh, some discussion of like new armor that the Defiant has had added to it. And uh, they get all the all the Cardassians aboard, and I guess they're like getting genetically tested down in Six Bay as they as they come aboard. Like we get a funny scene with Doctor Bashir like insisting on it from Gold Dukat. This episode really sets the tone for what's to come. Like when you see that Armada outside Deep Space Nine, it is a breathtaking amount of ships. Yeah, and and effects work happening, and this fight scene between. The Defiant and these Klingon ships is fully developed and realized, and it is so far away, it feels like, from the Pac-Manification of these space wars that we got in the first couple of seasons. Like, it is exciting and several minutes long. Yeah, and it seems like the effects are at a new level. Yeah. It's one of those things where I I wish we had the the HD remaster, but like... You know, the Defiant, like, grabbing onto the other ship with a tractor beam and, like, towing it and, like, whipping it around in front of the camera is, like, super dynamic and fun to watch. And yeah. just feels like they have, like, like somehow, like, they've cracked the code of how to make this fun and exciting to look at. I thought for a moment the space soup wasn't going to be packed in the captain's chair, but it's here, Ben. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> the thermos is, is present. So the survivors are rescued and they zoom home, but they have to do it without a cloak. And that's a problem because they're being chased by that heavy cruiser and a bird of prey. Yeah, and so they're doing that thing where they're like radioing ahead to the station like, hey, we're coming back, but we're going to have company. Yeah. Fortunately, they have retrofitted the station with a great deal of new armaments. That's great, except for there are also like 30 more Klingon ships that have pulled up to the station. To go uh, supplement the ones that are already in Cardassian space prosecuting this war. And we get another totally lit combat sequence here. Like, we get the, like, new torpedo launchers, like, deploying on the station. We get all different types of Klingon ships flying around, firing shots. Like, I mean, like, one of those cruisers, I think, is the version of the cruiser from, like, Star Trek The Motion Picture. (laughs) Yeah. like they got all the models out of the off the shelf for this one. They've got some old steel floating out there, which is great. Yeah, I love that there doesn't seem to be a shelf life on a Klingon ship. They'll just run that thing into the ground. And this is like a dynamic, almost like Star Wars level battle sequence because there's there's both the ship to ship stuff, but also on the station they've they've like deployed guards with guns all over the promenade and stuff, and we we start to see you know, boarding parties beam onto the station all over the place. You know, there's a very extended combat sequence in Ops. Yeah. Like, at the end of this episode, Ops is fucking littered with bodies. It's like two bodies deep everywhere. It's so new on this show to get fight scenes that last this long, too. Like, a compound fight scene where there's, like, six moves Yeah. on people is so difficult. And they put so much into these scenes to make them feel real. I thought they did a great job. 
Yeah. I think that one thing that misses a bit here is that that like nobody takes cover behind anything ever. Yeah. I wonder if it's just that phasers punch through stuff, so taking cover is pointless. Yeah, maybe. Um, and, and like, everybody gets involved. Like, you know, Chief O'Brien is licking shots in the atmosphere. Dr. Bashir, like, we get to see Odo beat the shit out of guys with his bare hands. Garrick and and uh, and Ducat are, are defending the Cardassian government at the end of a hallway. <laughs> like, Ducat has gotten his hands on a batleth somehow. <laughs> That's great. It goes on and on and on. And it's it's that double episode luxury of, of just, we have time. Let's, let's have fun with this. Like, let's make really extended action sequences. It feels like, strategically, Gowron sort of blew his load here because he boarded DS9 as soon as he took down their shields and did not board with enough people. And so as soon as the uh, the boarding is put down and shields are raised again, he kind of lost the window. Yeah. Because these cannons that have been mounted on DS9 are so effective that they're actually like doing real damage to the armada. And the advantage that Gowron thought he had in numbers is actually evened in such a way that in the intervening time, like a a backup fleet from the Federation has been en route. And so Gowron really doesn't see a way to win this fight. And there's an argument between him and Martok on the bridge of their ship where they're trying to decide whether to keep going with this offensive. And Martok is on team fight until we die. And Gowron's sort of on team long game. Again, the utility of Worf speaking that language comes into play because he's able yeah. to kind of tip Gowron over to like a, a withdrawal to preserve the empire is, is not a defeat at all. Destroying an empire to win a war is no victory. This is not an episode that ends with everything the same as when it started. Right, yeah. like we have Klingons that are like controlling parts of Cardassian space. We have a very destabilized relationship between the Klingons and and the Federation. Uh, everything is different at the end of this episode. The conflict between the the Klingons and the Cardassians and the Federation versus the Klingons is exactly what the Dominion wants. Right, all scenarios benefit the Dominion, and they only realize it after having killed a bunch of each other's people. Yeah. Like one of the last scenes in the episode is a uh, is a visit that Cisco pays to Worf. This is him coming with the with the paperwork that ends Worf's commission in as an officer in Starfleet. Yeah, he's quitting. He's going away. I mean, it's hard to be sure because you don't get the scene of him taking off his com badge and putting it on a table. Like <laughs> that's how you know it's official. Yeah. Anytime someone quits Starfleet. No, instead, uh, Cisco kind of talks him into uh, giving it one last swing. Cisco's like, you know, I have a red uniform just your size. It uh, belonged to Cal Hudson. <laughs> Little awkward where the communicator goes on it, but. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so Worf shows up on uh, on the elevator in ops in the next scene in his shiny new red turtleneck version of the uniform. Yeah. And uh, he is the new strategic operations officer for Deep Space Nine. Yeah, look at him. Looking good in red. He got to wear red a couple times on TNG uh, in in those alternate versions of yeah. the Enterprise Bridge, like when... Uh, when Riker's memory was being fucked with, for example. Right. 
Yeah, he looks uh, he looks nice and red, and uh, yeah. I, I feel I feel great to have him here. The ending is not all happy because while the council has been returned to Cardassia, uh, the Klingons aren't backing down from all this ground they gained during this episode during during their offensive, and uh, they're looking to retain control of all of this space that they gobbled up. Doesn't look like uh, peace is going to come anytime soon. Yeah, it's a uh, it's bad news bears for for the future, and uh, and and it doesn't seem like the quadrant is on a great footing to repel an incursion by the founders. But that's kind of how the founders run their shit. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. It was very exciting. It was. Um, I like the stuff with Gowron. I like the stuff with. Uh, with Martok, I feel like we have some like fun and interesting characters, and it's fun to it's fun to bring Gowron back. I kind of missed Jake and Nog in this episode. I thought they mm-hmm. had enough time to maybe have like one or two scenes to see what happened to them uh, during all of this. I thought it would have been interesting to find out. You know, like one thing that we have talked a lot about over the course of this project is the times when Star Trek sort of chickens out on changing everything, changing all the rules. Right. All the rules feel really different at the end of this episode. And, uh, and, and the last episode as well, like this episode picks up where the last episode left off and doubles down on that. Like, no, like this is going to like really change significantly over time. It, it's very interesting to watch a show come into its own like that. It sure is. I mean, I thought about at the end of this episode whether or not this could have been its premiere episode. Huh. Like, what if this were the first episode of Deep Space Nine? (laughs) Because of those rule changes you mentioned, there are true stakes here, stakes that extend beyond the station's walls, you know, like Federation affecting stakes. And I really like that. It feels like a real Rubicon of an episode. In that, like, nothing will ever be the same after this. And, like, you can feel how confident the show has become in its effects work, which I don't, I think maybe, maybe they couldn't do an episode like this three years ago because they just didn't have the money or the resources to make those things happen. But now, now they do. Now you can tell these great war stories, and it's great to see. I didn't realize how much I had missed Worf. Like, it's very comforting to have a legacy character back. Like, in the same way that I momentarily was so happy to see Riker, Thomas <laughs> on the show in yeah. the last season. Like, it's it's not just no- nostalgia. It's like a real affection for these characters. And I think Worf can do nothing but good here in my mind. It's, I think I'm excited to see what he does and how he interacts with the crew. Yeah, me too, man. Feels like the beginning of great things, and I I hope it is. Well, do you want to see if we have any great Priority One messages in our inbox? What are the chances, Ben? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. Hey! After an exhaustive and totally fruitless skywriting campaign, <laughs> we, over at Sitcomadon, decided to give the P1 format a spin. Wow. Sitcomadon podcast, 
simulates channel surfing in the 90s by randomly selecting shows and episodes of the most famous and infamous sitcoms ever made, (laughs) allowing us to review and dunk on them as we see fit. From The Office to The Boy Meets World to The Cosby Show, we have a ton of laughs and a touch of social commentary. Thanks to Ben and Adam for Greatest Gen. It's a true delight. So check out our podcast, Sitcomadon, today wherever you get your podcasts. Give it a spin. That sounds like a great podcast. Hey, way to way to talk about the Cosby show. <laughs> yeah, we would never talk about Cosby. People don't even like us talking about Cosby show. <laughs> You've clearly learned nothing from Greatest Gen. <laughs> Adam, we have another Priority One message here, and it is from Hillary, and it's for Nick. It goes like this. Happy four years, dear. I don't think any of our friends could have imagined this when we first met. You are my perfectly nerdy other half. That's nice. Yeah. That's tough when none of your friends are believers. Yeah. It looks like we're actually recording this well after the fourth anniversary, mid-January. That's when this was supposed to be, but uh, Mm. we've got a big lead time on on P1s at the moment. So uh, happy belated to, to Nick from Hillary. Yeah, congratulations, guys. So whether you're celebrating a podcast project you have or a milestone in a relationship, you can do either of those over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, and both of which support the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Morn's fuck this when the Klingons are acting the fool at Quarks is a really great moment for me. Morn gets a couple of moments in this ep that I think merit a mention. That's one part. And then also that he is the first person through the door of Quarks after it reopens. <laughs> like, like the door hasn't even finished swishing open entirely and Morn is in. Yeah. And I love that about him. Yeah. He's sort of like... The uh, the canary in the coal mine, right? Like, right. if Morn isn't around, I feel like you're in true danger. Stop worrying about decibels, Quark. Just look for Morn. Yeah. It's like Mr. Rogers says, look for the Morns. <laughs> <laughs> he was famous for saying that. Yeah. Just to put little kids' minds at ease. You know, if there's yeah. ever, if there's anything going wrong, look for the Morns. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Uh, my drunk Shimoda is Quark. Um, pretty early in the episode, I think it's maybe when Worf shows up in the bar the first time, Quark is pouring a beer for Chief O'Brien, and he's pouring it out of, like, a coffee pitcher. Yeah, yeah. And then later in the episode, there's a scene where, like, Quark and Garrick just have kind of a heart-to-heart about how much they hate humans. And Quark pours Garrick a root beer out of the same pitcher. We didn't give that scene a bunch of chat on the show, but I thought that was one of the best scenes in this episode was their conversation. I did too. We were trying to keep it to like a normal length of episode, despite being a double up in terms of how much content we had to get through. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do feel like we breezed past a few of those scenes, but uh, but that that is a great scene. But uh, I, I was very distracted by that weird, like, <laughs> insulated urn that <laughs> Quark has. Uh, pre- presumably behind the bar, he has one with beer in it and one with 
root beer in it. You got to practice good beverage hygiene because if you mix those things up or you're sharing the container, neither of those are going to taste good. Yeah. It's like when you order decaf at a restaurant and you see them pouring it out of the out of the carafe that doesn't have the orange spout. Right. Like, hey, what are you doing? Got to get that orange carafe. Got to get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy, and that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I could use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Gotta, gotta get that, get that gold press The next episode is Season 4, Episode 2, The Visitor. When a tragic accident causes Cisco to vanish before his son's eyes, young Jake begins a lifelong obsession to bring him back. Must have been your lifelong obsession. What's that a reference to? That's uh, That was that line from Star Trek Six with the two Kirks, that oh, I can't right. believe I kissed you line. <laughs> wow, so we're pivoting out of war a little bit. Yeah. It sounds like, and uh, it sounds like what could be a bottle episode, perhaps. Yeah. Well, Adam, you've got uh, you've got the action today. Do you want to uh, roll them bones and see how we will be doing this episode? Well, we're required to learn as we play this game of Deep Space Nine, Ben. It's the uh, game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. It's the game that we play at the end of every episode to decide how we watch the next episode. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, we are currently on square 73 of the game board, and uh, out in the distance, what we have is a square that says the nth degree. That is our extensive research episode. Uh, an episode that we've never... We've never done an episode that way before, so... Yeah, really change almost everything about this show. <laughs> it's the mission log square, Ben. Yeah, yeah. That's five squares ahead. Uh, if we land on that one, we will be outsourcing the show to our friends at Mission Log. Yeah. Uh, who will be happy to do us that solid, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. They're, they're in no way annoyed at our very existence. All right. Here goes nothing. I have rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which seems to be the only roll possible for me. (laughs) Moving us just one square ahead to square 74. It's a regular episode, Ben. Fun. All right, well, that'll be next week. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, we got a bunch of thank yous to give out. The biggest thank you really goes to the folks that go to maximumfund.org slash donate and support this show on an ongoing basis um has really changed our lives and we really really appreciate it if you'd like to do that there are uh gifts at uh just about every level of support and uh the max fund drive is coming up soon so uh there'll be even giftier gifts then uh and we uh we really appreciate it yeah, this show is impossible without your support. We also need to thank Adam Raguzia, who made a bunch of original theme music for our show, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song uh, that, uh, that it was the theme music when we started this show. Uh, thanks both for the music. Uh, we also see you, Card Daddy. He's Bill Tilly 1973 on Twitter. Uh, he is the creator of all the great and hilarious trading cards that get posted to Twitter uh, after every episode. He's doing great work week in and week out, and uh, we love him for it. We sure do. If you would like to talk about the show, use the GraceGen hashtag on Twitter. Go on uh, Facebook. Go on Reddit. Go on the Wikia. There's all kinds of great ways to connect with other friends of DeSoto. Talk about the show. And, uh, and yes, and the jokes. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which uh, probably 
hugs our fathers a little more than usual. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.